Ramble. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Bada bing, bada boo. Welcome to this week's main episode. I'm just going to drop you right into the middle of this crime in the nice town of San Marino in Los Angeles County. A family had recently purchased a very, very nice piece of property. But the problem is huge first world problem they don't have a pool i mean what's the point of living in california if you ain't got your own private pool right so they start they hire contractors they come out and they start digging you're like what is this why is this hgtv no this is true crime okay but then they hit something what is that oh my god it's a trash bag now the contractors at this point they weren't that nervous i mean they had seen some stuff okay i mean they weren't even alarmed they had dug up cars they had dug up full-on horse carcasses at one point so truly some trash Not a big deal for them. But when they went to go remove it, they realized there was hair sticking out with a human skull attached to the hair. Call the cops. So the police arrive and at first they're like, wait, we think we know who this body is. There was a young couple that lived here about 10 years ago and they went missing under very strange circumstances. They told everybody that they knew that they had this top secret government mission to go on. It was going to lead them to New York City, then to Paris, but they couldn't say any more. They couldn't even keep in contact with their friends and family because it would jeopardize their new top secret government job. Police never really took it seriously. I mean, yeah, it's weird, but these are adults. But then things were looking weirder once they found the body in the pool. They were like, this has got to be at least one of the couple, right? It was so weird, in fact, that they had an Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode on this about the body found in the California pool. The killer's on the run. He could be hiding near you. Guys, we need tips for unsolved mysteries. That's what they said. And a lot of people watched this episode. Even some of the social elite of New York City watched this episode. But they had nothing to worry about. They were living their gossip girl lives. Crime and murder, that's for the lower and middle class, okay? These are millionaires, if not billionaires. These people are rubbing shoulders with the Vanderbilts, former presidents, politicians, They only hung out in private clubs that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get into. But that's if you're invited. Most people aren't even invited. They had mansions all around the world. All of them are Ivy League educated. There were those polos with the sweaters draped over their shoulders. I mean, they came from families with more money than you could even spend. This isn't part of their world. So they had no idea that the Gossip Girl upper elite had a murderer amongst them. And his name was Clark Rockefeller. Yes. From the, the billionaire family, the Rockefeller family. What? So, as always, full podcast notes will be available at rottenmangopodcast.com, but there's the 
three really good books on this. Okay, hear me out, hear me out, okay? So the first one is Name Dropper by Frank Gerardo. Really good, but you can only get physical copies. So if you're a Kindle reader or like an ebook reader, you know, you're out of luck. Blood Will Out, The True Story of a Murder, a Mystery, and a Masquerade by Walter Kim. This is more of a memoir versus a deep dive on this case. He was actually close friends with Clark Rockefeller. What a last name. Yeah. Okay. Man. And then the, is there only is that the only family with that last name? I'm you assuming think? that there's other people with that surname, but I mean it's really gotta be just them, right? I mean it's such a crazy last name. What's your last name? Sue. <laughs> 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 so, no, no, no. Rockefeller. Oh, Rockefeller. Oh, fucking Rockefeller. Thank you. <laughs> Miss Rockefeller. Thank you, Miss. And then the really good deep dive is The Man in the Rockefeller Suit. Uh, really good by Mark Seal. He actually, I, I remember reading a Vanity Fair article that was written by Mark Seal. And I was like, okay, well, this is, it got me hooked on this case, right? I mean, probably the most out of the three, this is like your purest deep dive. The other ones are kind of, you know, um, he did almost 200 interviews with people, went all across the United States and even went to Germany. Yeah, to Germany. So how does one become a Rockefeller? Because you're looking at me and you're like, why aren't you a Rockefeller? Like, how do you really become one? <laughs> because I'm not a Rockefeller. <laughs> so either you're just born one or yeah. you marry one, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, anyone can change their name. I could go down to the government office and say, you know what? From now on, I want to be referred to as Stephanie Rockefeller. There's got to be other families that are maybe middle class, not a Rockefeller, but have the same last name. But in these latter situations, nobody actually treats you like a Rockefeller. No, you're just treated like a normal person. So what is the point of that Rockefeller name without the benefits? So if you aren't born one and you don't marry one, how do you become one and get treated like a true Rockefeller? Is there a way? You're thinking, no, I mean, that doesn't make sense. But we're going to talk about a guy who went from a small town in Germany, from a middle class family to living on one of the richest streets of New York City with tens of millions of dollars in paintings, with the whole world bowing at its Rockefeller feet. But his whole life is filled with crime. Let me take you to a small town in Germany. That's where this all starts. The population of this tiny, tiny town was about 13,000 people. And amongst this small group was Christian. He was born into this really loving family. So his dad was this super outgoing painter, like an artist type, you know. He made beautiful landscape paintings. And his mom, she was like a stay-at-home mom, a little bit more reserved. But I mean, this whole family, if you're looking from the outside, just perfect. I mean, they were really loving parents from the get-go. Christian was really the only child for the first 12 years of his life, and he absolutely loved it. He got all the attention from his family, his parents, his extended family, just spoiled. Some might even go as far as to say that this little kid ran the house. He would watch whatever he wanted on TV. His favorite was sci-fi, which most parents of the time did not approve of. Also, the author, Mark Seal, went to Germany to ask around about Christian's childhood, and some fascinating stories came out of Germany, okay? So they would say that that Christian just was not for the rules. So there's this dangerous river nearby. None of the parents wanted their kids to go, but Christian would not only go, but convince other kids to go with him. So he just did whatever he wanted. If these neighboring parents were like, what's wrong with you, Christian? Why would you convince our kids to go? He would just look at them and say, well, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my parent. You're just some random lady down the street. You can't tell me what to do, which is kind of crazy, right? As he grew older, he just wanted to leave this town. He wanted to not only leave this tiny town, but the country of Germany. He felt like he was just too good for the place. Yeah, the whole country. He was just too good for the whole country. Always wanted to dress differently, even spoke differently. I mean, he was a huge advocate of learning um, 
like Americanized English.、Mm-hmm. So he wanted that American accent, which I'm like,、oh, there's、that's、people a- out there. Yeah, <laughs> that's first time. <laughs> yeah, he wanted that American accent. I mean, he was really smart. I will give it to him, but he wanted to impress people with how smart he was. So this guy is not humble. Just really not a likable person. He would go to school dressed up in a three piece business suit. High school. Like he's thirteen, three piece business suit. His mom loved it.、Mm-hmm. I mean, she loved how proper he was, how fancy he was. He, she really encouraged it. On top of that, his dad loved it too because he's an artist. So he's like, "Wow, my son is so authentically himself." He just like marches to the beat of his own drum, you know. Like his parents were really encouraging this, and allegedly this caused a lot of authority issues. He had hated this one teacher for the longest time. So what does Christian do? He comes into school with one of his fists just closed up in like a ball. The teacher's like,、uh, "What's in your hand? Why are you f- holding your fist like that?" I don't know. Here, give it to me. What's in your hand, Christian? And he opens up his fist. Inside is just a bunch of pepper powder, and he blows it straight into her <laughs> face. Like, imagine just paprika, habanero powder, ghost pepper powder, just blown into the teacher's face. Allegedly, he was really pissed off with the small town that he actually、uh, chose a hearse as his mode of transportation. You know the one where they transport dead bodies, like the coffins. Okay. And he would just park it in random streets,、oh, and he, people he would. He owns one. Yeah, and he would just park it in random streets. People would come home and be like, "Oh my god, did my neighbor die? Why、mm. is the hearse parked out there?" No, it was just Christian. Fascinating. Allegedly, in his free time, I mean, what do you guys do in your free time? He would call up the local DMV or whatever the version in Germany is, right? And he would、mm-hmm. say, "Listen, I'm a millionaire, and I need to register my new cars." Yes, it's two Rolls Royces. I mean, just a really strange thing to do, right? It's one thing, you know. A lot of psychologists were saying it's one thing to lie to your friends and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna get a Rolls Royce for my twelfth birthday." It's another thing. It's not even fun. You know what I mean? Like you're calling the DMV. It seemed like he was testing to see if he could actually convince full-fledged adults who know what they're doing that he, this little high school kid, has two Rolls Royces,、mm-hmm. and he was successful. S- successfully, what? Success- <laughs> he doesn't have a car. Successfully, got duped into paying for the titles <laughs> and <Exactly> . registration. Of- <laughs> <laughs> And every day he would just tell anyone who would listen. The only way to have a better life is to go to America. And they all laughed because I mean that's a big dream to go to America, you know. So a little bit after high school, he meets this nice little American couple. I mean, this was completely by chance. It was Elmer and Jean from California. They were in their rental car because it was just raining. I mean, they were desperately lost. They were trying to visit Adolf Hitler's country house in the Alps, which I'm wondering. I mean, I don't know. Do they do tours there? What's the purpose? I'm not really sure. It's just a little bit strange. But they're like, yeah, let's go to fucking Hitler's house. Okay, that's the last thing I would ever say. <laughs> let's go to Hitler's <laughs> house. What the fork? Okay, why would you? If you're in Germany, I'm sorry. I judge you a little bit if that's where you want to go. I'm sure there's a reason. So, anyways, they get lost and they find this young man hitchhiking in the rain. Well, they're like, okay, this guy looks nice. Let's pull over, give him a ride, and maybe he can point us in the direction of a safe hotel to stay at tonight. Okay, so they open up the door and in comes 18-year-old Christian. I mean, he was handsome. He was so well mannered for his age. I mean, it seemed like he came from a family with pedigree. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you meet these kids and you're like, what do your parents do for a living? Because you have a better vocabulary than I do. Yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, this is wild. And he kept insisting, no, I insist, you random couple from California, please stay at my home. So they drive him home, they get out, and they thought it was a little bit strange because Christian didn't even bother to tell his parents his plans. Just literally marched in with this you know, couple from California saying, hey, mom, hey, dad. I have guests over today. Yeah, I have guests over today. Like, they're just going to be spending the night. Make sure you feed them well. Yeah. <laughs> so they hang out. They watch movies. And, you know, Christian's like, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to go to America soon. I'm going to become a filmmaker. Hollywood, that's where I'm going to go. Oh, cool. So they have a great time. And they even gave Christian their contact info before leaving. They're like, if you ever find yourself in the U.S., especially California, let's grab lunch. You know, we owe you. You saved our lives. But they kind of really shake this strange feeling. This guy's just in his own little world. I mean, this guy, he's acting like he lives in L.A., but he's living in this small town in Germany. There was just like a huge disconnect from even Christian and his own family members, but also the German culture. Mm. It just was a little bit strange, they said, you know? It's a little yeah. detached from reality. Then Christian soon again meets another American. Peter, oh man, I mean, he, this guy's American. Rucka Priore. <laughs> anyway, what? not important. He was about 18 years old, lived in Connecticut, okay? He had graduated, wanted to do like a tour of Europe before he starts college, met Christian on a train. And Christian was just so nice. I mean, shockingly nice, especially because Christian told him, you know, my dad, he's a higher up at Mercedes Benz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you need a discount on a on a Benz, I got you. His life was filled with privilege, but this kid was somewhat humble. So they exchanged their contact information, promised to meet again one day. But really, I mean, are you going to? Probably not. So they part their ways. But Christian had exactly what he wanted. Not just American friends, but their names and their addresses. Because when you apply for a tourist visa in the U.S., he had to put their names and their addresses as his sponsors. Without them knowing. Without them knowing. Oh, that's wild. So he lands in Boston. He calls up his mom, okay? And he's like, Mom, I lost all my luggage. You need to send me more money for clothes. That's a lie. He didn't lose his luggage. Then he calls up Peter. Peter's like, what the heck? I didn't know you were coming this soon. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay, well, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Your dad's so rich. You probably come to the States all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom can pick you up from the airport. I'm a little bit busy right now, but we'd, we'd love to have you. So he goes to Peter's house. They even help him enroll in high school, which is strange because he already graduated high school in Germany, okay? But all of his papers were in German. So nobody thought to call or get a translator or do anything. They were just like, you know what? I believe this child, okay? So he's a senior in high school. And instead of just staying for that semester, Christian was looking for long-term solutions, looking for a host family for a foreign exchange student. And that is when Gwen Savio answered his ad, okay, his newspaper ad. She had already hosted a few other students. She's got four kids of her own. And it was just like a really enriching experience. Her kids got to be exposed to different cultures. She had a son around Christian's age. I mean, this was perfect. So they set up Christian in the living room. He starts sleeping there. And almost immediately, he starts flexing on his host family. (laughs) Just full on, you know. My dad's a higher up at Mercedes. And he talked in this really strange... I mean, they knew that he was a foreign exchange student from Germany. But he talked in like a... Like a upper west side New York City prep school. Like, okay. So for example, the son's name is Ed. Edward. But they call him Ed, right? So Mm -hmm. an American would say, oh, hey, Ed. Mm -hmm. He would say, hello, Ed. Where is my bed? 
Okay, that was really bad. <laughs> but he would just try to... Dra- it's not necessarily a California Valley Girl accent, but he drags out like the middle of words. Okay. And that is typically known as a prep school accent. Got it. So like he's trying hard to be, be that already. Yeah, like a think New York, Connecticut, those types of people have this type of accent. So he starts going to school and everyone thought he was weird. I mean, he was so outgoing. He was so curious, was obsessed with American culture, and he was really, really confident. These all sound like great attributes, right? You're like, wow, that's a great personality. No, just weird. I mean, he was really old for his age. He loved classical music. Film noir were his favorite movies. He would randomly wear cowboy boots with like shrimp tr- swim trunks. Okay, that's his own unique style. Yeah, I think he thought it was very American. So he was like, this is what... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Americans like to wear swimming trunks. <laughs> and they like cowboys. So, so. this makes sense, right? <laughs> and initially, he got along really well with his host family. He could talk about anything, even for his age. I mean, he was well-versed in stocks, bonds, banking, real estate, anything. You name it. Classical music, classic black and white movies. I mean, even history. He knew everything just not basic knowledge he could have an in-depth conversation with professionals and eventually christian starts fighting with his host family i mean he just had so much audacity he would say things like my father wouldn't let me talk to such peasants like yourselves (laughs) they would serve him dinner and he would say well we have servants bring out our food he'd say things like oh we're eating the same thing again Huh. <laughs> I would never live like this. I mean, that's just me and my family. I would never live like this, you know? Okay. <laughs> Which is weird because you are living like that right now. What's going on, right? Now, the final straw came when Christian didn't answer the door for the little daughter of the family. He was home watching a movie. Did he hear? We don't know. Did he just not care? We don't know. She was standing outside in the front door in the freezing cold for hours. Okay. So the family was like, you got to get out of here. You're an asshole, okay? So they kick him out, and he didn't even apologize. His last words to the family weren't even thank you, but was, you know what? I was in the mood for something better anyway. Oh, my God. I just want to yeah. give him a little <laughs> slap. We are still in the process of packing to move cross-country, and I'm going to be honest with you. I need a break from packing. I need to sit down and let my brain feel refreshed. And honestly just sitting there and staring off into space hasn't been working because i start stressing out i'm like oh i gotta do this next i gotta pack this next and i just end up freaking out myself and i found a little hack okay the best way to feel like my brain is rejuvenated is calming down is to play a couple rounds of best fiends i mean i have been talking about this game for the past like three years now it has a hundred million downloads that is gnarly if you guys don't know what best fiends is and you're thinking to yourself well i'm not a hardcore gamer don't worry neither am i truly this is a casual mobile puzzle game that leaves your brain feeling good and refreshed i have played so many matching puzzle games out there but this one is different i mean it's one of those games that i can play for 30 minutes just sitting on the toilet in between packing doing whatever sometimes in the car and it feels like it's 30 seconds and it's totally free to download they have thousands of fun puzzles to solve there's something new every single day i'm already on level 402 which sounds like a lot but you breathe through it i'm telling you with best fiends the adorable collectible characters just keep coming and best fiends releases new challenges characters and themes all the time so it keeps you on your toes 
You can even strategically team up with each character based on their special abilities to gain extra points and items to level up your fiends. I mean, there's just so much to love about this game. Give it a try. It's free to download and let me know if you love it as much as I do. Download the five-star rated puzzle game, Best Fiends, free today on the App Store and Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. So somehow he gets accepted into the University of Wisconsin and he starts studying political science. Now, the guy's roommate, okay, Christian's roommate remembers his first impression was just bizarre. He walks in with a tiny little suitcase and a whole set of golf clubs. Like, it's just weird. <laughs> like, you would think that you would bring more clothes than, like, golf clubs. <laughs> Oh, man. And he started telling them how his dad is in the witness protection program. He was a higher up executive in the FBI. I mean, are they called executives? I don't know. Okay. He was one of the higher ups at the FBI. Just did really, really hush hush stuff. And then after a semester, he just vanished. He had moved to Wisconsin, but he didn't move under the name of Christian. He called himself Christopher Gerhardt. So he had shortened his last name and went by Christopher. So he starts hanging by the local college again, you know, and he says, hi, I'm Christopher. And he says that he's really looking for a wife. That's what he's in town for. Not because he wanted to settle down, not because he wants to start a family, but you guessed it. He wants that green card. So uh, one of his church friends, they got their sister to agree to it. I don't know how, but her name was Amy. And he told her that he needs citizenship because he's going to be sent and enlisted into the German army. And look at him. I mean, this guy just looks looks like prep school. He's going to die on the front lines. Look at him with his little sweater. I don't think he's worn any shoes besides those Sperry's, like those boat shoes. This guy can't do and it. And cowboy boots. And cowboy boots, you know? <laughs> like, that's just impossible. So what was in it for Amy? She never really said. I mean, she said she doesn't remember money being involved. Not even like $100. And at 20 years old, he marries Amy in the courthouse. They didn't even grab lunch after. They never saw each other again. What? They just got legally married. He got his green card. And after he received the paper, she divorced him by putting an ad in the local newspaper. I don't know how that works, okay? <laughs> don't be asking me questions. Just check the local LA Times because I might be putting out an ad. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> and so immediately, he moves to California to meet the couple that he had met in Germany. Now, they were excited to see him. He had given them a ring before, but they didn't recognize him. He had went from, like, he was wearing leather jackets at one point in Germany. Then he went to, you know, because America was going through that hippie phase. So he started dressing like a hippie. But now, now he's just throwing... He looks like... Lacoste threw up on him just at their front door. Just 100% Ivy League gift shop vibes, okay? Like, what is happening right now? Why are you dressed like that? Why are you wearing a red Yale baseball cap? Like, I don't understand. Nobody does that for fun. And he said, well, listen, I'm here because I want a new name. I'm going to make it in show business. Nobody uses their real name in show business. It's not cool enough. So he starts going through the local phone books to find his next last name. But he had heard of a fancy last name that he couldn't get out of his mind. Chi Chester. So you're thinking, wait a minute. I, I've heard of this last name before. The Chichester family is actually um, a very, very famous British family. They're like British nobility. They have a family crest. Do you know what that is? A coat of arms. It's pretty much a forking logo for your family. That's how bougie mm, they are. You know, like you yes. can't just have a logo for your family unless you're somebody, right? Why can't we make a logo? For our family? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Why is that? So, I mean, they have, they're a family with rich history of being 
rich <laughs> that's what they're rich history of, of being, being rich. rich okay so they had medieval bishops the bishop of exeter was part of the family you know all of the women in the family were called lady of blah 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 like they weren't just oh that's freaking stephanie over there it was lady stephanie of rotten mango that was a nice ring to it that, actually that was nice yeah that was really good yeah, they yeah, had yeah. barons in the in the ranks which was a nobility rank that is uh considered like a lord that's what they're called right mm-hmm. but lower than a count there's levels to this shit, okay mm-hmm. <laughs> even threw in a middle name mount batten you're thinking oh my god i know that name too right the last name of some of the british dynasty before they changed their last name to windsor so for example prince harry and Meghan, they named their son archie mount batten hyphen windsor so, I mean, these are some crazy names that you're throwing out there. So his official name was Christopher Mountbatten Chichester, which, I mean, what a name. So fancy. For what? Imagine I just changed my name. I'm like Stephanie Kardashian Bezos from the House of Versailles. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like just putting together random ass names you're to make too, something fancy. Yeah, you just picked the most classy names, don't you? <laughs> I did. So Christopher Mountbatten Chichester, he moves to the outskirts of L.A. in this beautiful town called San Marino, California. He claimed that his dad is a lawyer and his mom is an architect, but also a world-renowned actress, primarily in Europe. You wouldn't know her because you're not cultured in the States. Christopher had this very strong English accent as if he was from England, you know. Nobody ever suspected that he had any German blood in him, even fellow Germans in San Marino. That's how, I mean, that's how great he was at language, to be honest. He would introduce himself, kiss the hands of every woman that he met, and they all just thought, wow, this guy really must be something. For his parents and school to teach him these things, I mean, this is a real gentleman. He would tell everyone that he was a nephew, a direct descendant of the Mountbatten's. But he was obviously in poor relation with British nobility, you know. So his mom is living in Switzerland and the rest of the family is England. And he just thought, why don't I come to the U.S.? Why don't I come to one of the former colonies, America, and see what I can do here in this small community? (laughs) So he starts going to church, city council meetings, really becoming part of the town. I mean, everybody was stoked to have him. Think of San Marino as like an extension of Beverly Hills, okay? You're talking about a lot of board housewives who are competitive with dinner parties. So to get Christopher Mountbatten Chichester on your dinner party list, listen, you could flex on all your haters for the next year. I mean, he spent most of his time at libraries, reading rare books. The Huntington Library was his favorite spot to go. It's a botanical garden we've been before. It was so hot. (laughs) That's all I remember. I just, that's it. That's my only memory, okay? They have a lot of rare books over there. And he claimed he just moved into his family's property. 1405 Circle Drive. This is one of the biggest houses on the street, just filled with mansions. Imagine being the biggest mansion amongst mansions. What a life. Wait, he bought the house? No, but he claimed he lived there. Zillow estimates it's around $14 million. Jesus. Yeah, though nobody was ever invited over. And the ladies of the church who dropped him off, I mean, they always stopped at the end of the street. And they thought, well, you know, that's how, that's how private and weird and eccentric rich people are. Mm. See, if you're middle class and you do something weird, you're known as weird or creepy. But if you're rich and you do something weird, you're known as eccentric. <laughs> Did you know rich people? (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous. So he starts going to that local church, scamming housewives into giving him loans. He even got a local newspaper to cover his arrival. Descendant of Sir Francis Chichester, knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. 
You know, like it was, wow, can you guys believe it? We have a celebrity. So you're thinking this guy's walking on thin ice. I mean, this is just like two Google searches away from being exposed. But the lies only got bolder. He told a woman that he was trying to date, trying to court, that he produced a very classic British series called The Prisoner. Now, if she had looked it up, she would have realized that that came out when he was seven years old. How is he a producer for that mm-hmm. at seven years old? <laughs> A very prominent member of the town begged Chris, Christopher, please take my daughter out on a date. Carol is lonely. So he picks her up for a date and Carol was super excited, but she was shocked. I mean, she thought it was going to be a lunch date. He picks her up in a beat down car. His clothes up close just looked so old and he had to run errands with her. Never even got lunch with her and then just dropped her off. And allegedly inside of his car, there were post-it notes everywhere. Now, it wasn't post-it notes like this guy has dementia, needs to remember these things or like he has a bad memory. He needs his to-do list, right? No, these were like random things that allegedly looked like he was writing down what he had told people to keep his lies in check. Oh my gosh. So like imagine like in my car it says Stephanie, twenty five years old. Like it's weird. So why is he showing up with all these I don't know. So afterwards she tries to tell everyone, like, this guy's creepy. Mm-hmm. This guy's weird. I don't know. But everyone just said, well, you know rich people. I mean, the really rich people, mm-mm, they don't like showing off. Of That's course true. they drive beat down <laughs> those, cars. Those videos. Yeah. The richest people, the billionaires. Did you know Mark Zuckerberg drives a Honda? Did you know <laughs> Warren Buffett still live at the $400,000 house that he owned since 50 years and ago? And he only eats McDonald's, which he owns this much shares of. <laughs> and he also has a oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> many private properties elsewhere. And he also owns a private jet to get there at any time he wants but you know he drives a honda he's just like you and me i'm like these people are doing propaganda for rich people okay rich people are obnoxious let's just keep it that way now and they would always say listen 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 carol that's the difference between old money and new money he's a chichester he's a mountbatten that's old money they don't drive lamborghinis that's some kardashian okay So I'm just saying. Now, one of the people that not only really, truly believed Christopher, but really liked him was a woman by the name of Didi Sohu. Now, she, her life has been rough. She had went through multiple different husbands. They were all somewhat wealthy, but they, um, she had an adopted son by the name of John, lived in Didi's childhood house in San Marino, but eventually her relationships didn't work. So Didi was left a single mom to John. She decided she's got to, you know, get a job. She's got this nice property worth quite a bit, but she needs to live there i mean la is really one of those places where yeah okay you could sell your property for a lot of money but then where are you gonna live everything's so expensive right she starts working at like an auto shop part-time and the guest house was available so she rents it out and christopher chichester honestly i don't know what kind of reason he gave dd probably that his massive house is having some interior work done or he wants to be hashtag relatable and trying to live like the normal people for once so the whole setup of dd's house was you got the main house where dd lived with john her adoptive son and his new wife linda Mm, right and then in the guest house was christopher chichester now john did not really get along with christopher in the sense like they really didn't know each other Mm -hmm. any of john's friends knew of christopher as the guy in the guest house they had no idea that he was a chichester allegedly or like a mountbatten nothing just the guy in the guest house now john for example i mean he was just really smart like that's what people describe him as just a bit shy really smart very trusting of a person bit of a mama's boy i mean this man loved his computers that was his main passion in life he was good at them hung out with the nerdy group of people in high school played dungeons and dragons and that's where he met linda mayfield she was the opposite 
strawberry blonde hair, six feet tall. John is only five foot five. Okay, she was outgoing, fun, loving person. Worked at a bookstore. Her priorities were Star Trek, her six cats, and she wanted to buy a horse. She's saving up money to buy a horse.、Mm-hmm. Now they're living in Dee Dee's house, and they're like, "We gotta get out of here. We gotta keep saving money so we can get our own place because they're newlyweds. Come on!" Now one day, Linda approaches her best friend Sue, Sue Kaufman, and Sue. says, "Yeah," and says, "Hey." John just got offered the job of a lifetime. Like it's crazy. It's a top secret government job. He's gonna be programming. Well, I don't want to drop names, but like, think like you know, three letter agencies. What? KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. So in New York City, we have to leave soon. Okay, but we can't tell people where we're going or what we're doing or even who we're working for. So I'm gonna drop my cats off at a cat hotel, and、uh, yeah, we're gonna be back in a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. But they never came back. Wait, so Linda and husband John left. They just vanished. They left their truck. They left their cats. They left everything and just vanished. So Sue and all of Linda's friends and John's friends were calling up Dee Dee, like, "What happened to them? Like, I don't understand." Now, to give you some perspective, Dee Dee had a bit of a drinking problem, so she just kept telling them, "I can't tell you. I promise not to tell. They're on a mission. I can't jeopardize the mission." And around that time, Christopher had asked a neighbor to borrow a chainsaw. Strange, because he's not really the type to do yard work. And soon, his chimney was pumping out some of the nastiest smells that you could ever think. So they're like, "Oh my God, Christopher, what's going on with your chimney in the guest house?" Oh, you know, I had this rug that had a bunch of bugs in it, so I had to burn it so that the bugs wouldn't, you know, live there and the larvae. You get it. Fascinating. Another neighbor saw a fresh hole in the ground. You're like, wow! How do these neighbors see everything? Come,、uh, just go like Google Street Maps of LA. The houses are pretty much on top of each other, so you could just peer on over, right? So they see a fresh hole in the ground. What's going on? Oh, just some plumbing issues. Around the same time of the couple's disappearance, so finally, police were called two months after they disappeared. But they said there's no foul play. I mean, yeah, it's a bizarre story to say that the couple had a top secret government job, but maybe they just hate you guys. Maybe they just want to start fresh. Maybe they just want to be left alone. Nothing would really be done for another decade, but in the meantime, Christopher was the king of the house. I mean, Dee Dee was too drunk, too busy to notice that he was slowly taking over, and eventually, he too vanished. And Dee Dee broke down to the police, told them, "I was told that my son and his wife were, you know, doing a top secret government job.、Mm-hmm. Who told you that? Christopher, Christopher Chichester. But I can't find him anywhere to ask him more questions. And he moved out. And she soon after that died of a heart attack. It's speculated by locals later that Christopher was stealing money from Dee Dee." Or maybe John and Linda had found out the real truth behind Christopher Chichester, and he had tried to kill John so that his secret wouldn't be out. And Linda had always just been this protector of John. I mean, she was the one that always shielded him from things. He was a little bit paranoid, right? So she was the one that, like, she was the stable one. I mean, she kept everything in check for the couple. She was really his rock. So maybe in the process, he had to kill Linda to get her out of the way. Before that speculation, though, locals would just sit there and speculate what the fork happened to John and Linda. But more importantly, what happened to our wonderful dinner guest, Christopher Chichester? Around this same time, in Greenwich, Connecticut, a new man arrived in town, Christopher Crow. 
So he just keep changing the names. Oh, yeah. And then it's going to get crazier. Okay. So he had drove John and Linda's truck to Connecticut, claimed that he was Christopher Crowe. You're thinking, well, who the fork is that? Okay. It's an acclaimed writer, director, producer was working on a new series with Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. This is like a like think, um, I guess, of our time, this would be. I don't know any really good directors. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so it's a real person. Yeah, it's a real person. He stole their identity. He just stole their identity. Starts going to the local church. Super famous. This is a wealthy area. This is where George Senior, George Bush Senior's mom mm-hmm. went to get, went to this church. A bunch of Rockefellers had passed through this church when they were living in Greenwich, Connecticut. Which, by the way, Greenwich, Connecticut is in the suburbs of New York. Essentially, I mean, it's in Connecticut, but you can easily get to New York City, which is why it is the home of a lot of hedge fund managers, investment bankers. It's the twelfth highest income in the nation, home to twelve of the richest men in the world. All these single girls are like, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. (laughs) Don't ask me why I'm going to Greenwich, but I'm going. I heard they have really good food, okay? The medium home price was $2.5 million. I mean, this is a gnarly of a place. Gnarly. Like, there's billionaires living here. It's crazy. So he rents a room from an elderly couple in a really nice place. Okay. How does he afford these? They rent it out for cheap. So this, okay, rich people are weird. So this rich people, they have this, like, I don't know. I think it was like 16 bedroom house. Mm-hmm. All their kids moved out doing big things. They're bored. So they put up a little bulletin at church room for rent mm-hmm. just so they can have some extra liveliness in the house. But it was super cheap. Mm-hmm. Got it. <laughs> so Christopher Crowe moves on in, right? He even gets pictures with George Bu- W. Bush's um, brother, Prescott Bush. That's a name, right? He got a what? He gets pictures with Prescott Bush. Like he's just oh. hanging out, rubbing shoulders with all these rich people in Connecticut. He becomes a prominent member of that prestigious church and starts hanging out with people just saying, yeah, I'm a producer. Listen, don't freak out. I know summer is here. You know, people are going out. You're like, well, what do I do, Stephanie? All I have in my closet are sweatpants and sweatshirts with pizza stains on them. Like, what? I have nothing to wear. I also don't want to spend a gajillion dollars buying new clothes. I have the solution for you, my friend, okay? Step back out into the world. Do your new debut wearing only the best when you shop at ThreadUp. It's an online consignment store for your closet, your wallet, and actually for the planet. So thrifting keeps clothes in circulation and out of landfills. ThreadUp has over 35,000 brands up to 90% off, which is insane. If you're looking for like a full closet transformation without nearly breaking the bank, this is the place for you. Get an extra 30% off your order at threadup.com slash rotten. I mean, it's insane. It's almost unbelievable how low these prices are. So you can find Zara, Nike, Madewell for crazy prices. A lot of my orders, some of the pieces have come with their tags still on. They're practically brand new, but I got them so affordably. It's retail therapy for the planet. Here's the best part. If you're like me and you love thrifting, but you don't like going through each rack, looking for your size, looking for your style, ThreadUp is the best place. I mean, it's the world's largest online thrift store and it makes it so easy. You can customize your search by your size, style, and budget so you can find the best deals instantly. And those deals are up to 90% off of retail prices. They've got 35,000 different brands for women's, kids' clothing, handbags, shoes, and more. I mean, I'm talking $6 Zara, Madewell and J. Crew from $9, Nike from $6. They constantly have new arrivals, so you never have to worry about, like, oh, is there something new to discover? And they also have an easy return policy, so it makes thrifting completely worry free. Which, by the way, I have done so many shipments of ThreadUp, and I think I've only returned one thing because I sized it wrong, but that was it. 
So get the styles you love at a fraction of the price. You'll look and feel good with ThreadUp. And for Rotten Mango listeners, here's an exclusive offer just for you. Get an extra 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash rotten. That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash rotten for 30% off your first order. Threadup.com slash rotten for an extra 30% off today. Terms apply. Every single piece of clothing that he wore had a monogram. It could be his socks. They had a monogram. CCC. Christopher Chichester Crow. That was his new name. I mean, just bizarre, right? He meets all these other fellow f- film students, you know, that are sons and daughters of these really, really well-off families. They go to Columbia University. They're studying film. And they're like, wow, that's so cool. You're working on this Alfred Hitchcock series. They would drop him off to set. And sure enough, there would be people working on this set. And really? he would just run up to them and start barking orders. And they would drive away like, wow, this guy really is who he says he is. Bizarre bizarre and then he gets freaking kicked out of <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like wait who are you that's what i always wondered i wonder like um the idea of if you put on one of those um orange vests and you just go into the middle of a street and start directing traffic <laughs> and no one's gonna question it right no one's gonna try to bump into you and be like you know what i think you're an imposter true they're until just gonna the, be like oh shit until the cars start crashing into each yeah. other <laughs> <laughs> they're like wait a minute i don't think this guy knows what he's doing so then he gets a new job a part-time job he says you know what yeah i'm a world-renowned producer i work with you know the likes of alfred hitchcock but it's truly boring i want to get into like investment businesses so he gets a job as a techie for phelps and company run by stan phelps this guy is freaking loaded okay so the way that he gets introduced is he met an employee at a yacht club he was like, oh, yeah, you work for Phelps and Company. I would love to work there. I'm so good with computers. Gets hired immediately. And on his application, his social security number, guess what he put? What? They did not check it, okay? Because if they had checked it immediately, they would realize that is the social security number for David Berkowitz, the son of Sam's serial killer in New York City. <laughs> Literally, what? What? <laughs> I mean, just bizarre. So he starts working there. He's always wearing the newest Burberry, Brooks Brothers. Now, it's suspected that he was stealing half a cent in volume off of the client's uh, portfolios. Half a cent? Yeah. So he was stealing like half a cent off of all of these rich people. And Phelps and Company is like a huge firm. Half a cent. Yeah. So in volume, he was stealing a lot, like a per trade or something like that. Like he was suspected oh, okay, of okay, stealing okay. half a cent, like a bajillion times. I see. I yeah. See. So, because so he's I mean, shaving every like a little bit off the top from but, every like, transaction. So little that you yeah. wouldn't even Notice. really, especially when you're dealing with like millions of dollars of investments. It's not yeah. like you know people are penny pinching and coming to Phelps and Company, right? Sure. So he was always wearing the newest Burberry Brooks Brothers, which people thought was weird because even most of them, I mean, they came from money. They're working at this place they're getting paid more than him mm-hmm. and he's dressed like he runs this town so then one day stan phelps wanted access to his computer this is the big boss in town he says mm-hmm. okay like show me how to log in because you have this new little security system going on and christopher wouldn't let him mm-hmm. he said i can log in for you but i don't think you should have access now stan phelps is like what the fuck are you doing you're making it feel like you want to be irreplaceable because without you i can't access my company that doesn't make sense yeah. no one but me should have that type of power so he fires christopher on the spot 
they would not know until later about his social security number. This is important later, okay? Somehow, Christopher gets another job at Nico Securities, a Japanese brokerage firm. Not only did he get a job, but he became the vice president of their new department. The minimum sale price that he would be working with was $1 million, and he would be bringing home close to $300,000 a year, not including bonuses. And on Wall Street, bonuses are everything, right? Mm -hmm. So he's so excited. Everyone's stoked to have him. Even made the new that he was the new vice president a chichester he was non-stop working overtime all the time in his office just talking to a bunch of people he knew like five different languages so he'd be speaking in french he'd be speaking in german on the phone just doing the most but he never closed a sale not one <laughs> so i mean it's hard to bullshit people that have been doing this for years you know uh-huh. even though he knows a lot it's just too much he would tell all of his co-workers that he had a fleet of cars ferraris alfa romeos lamborghinis but anytime he went out to meet them he would drive in his uh broken down maid's car he would say that's my maid's car well where's your ferrari christopher oh you know we're having electrical problems and so my garage door has been stuck for months You know, rich people think. You know. (laughs) So he starts, you know, showing his weird side at work, yelling at people when they pick up small things on his desk, offering random girls that he liked jobs. Like he'd walk into Starbucks and he'd see a barista and he'd be like, you want to work on Wall Street? Let's go. They're like, you can't just do that. That's not okay. And then one day, Stan Phelps calls the manager of Nico Securities. Yeah, Nico Securities and says, hey, uh, I heard this guy's working for you. Let me tell you about his social security number. You know David Berkowitz? So he tells him the whole thing. I don't know so who this guy is. So that's when he found out. Oh, wait, yeah. Wait, wait. yeah, after months, you know, okay. and he's already moved on to his new firm. Stan Phelps is like, run the social security of this motherfucker. They run it. It's David Berkowitz. They call up the new oh, place. so they think this guy is David. No, they're just like, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, okay, they're just okay. like, you probably shouldn't hire a guy like this because, I, I mean, what kind of person uses a serial killer's social security number? So you guys so need to do something. So he wasn't thinking this is the serial no, killer's kid. He was just thinking something's fishy about that dude. And as like a fellow rich person, you know, I'm going to give you the <laughs> lowdown. <laughs> yeah. So he gets fired and hired immediately at a prestigious securities firm called Kidder Peabody and Company, which it's no longer around. But at the time, it was like one of the biggest divisions in the world. Okay, he starts working in the investment banking section, uh, selling euro bonds, which apparently selling bonds is like the easier job in the industry because bonds kind of sell themselves is what they say. I don't know. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. That's what they said. Okay, Mm -hmm. but he never really sold anything. Meanwhile, California starts taking a look at cold cases and they reopen that cold case of John and Linda, especially because their truck had been reported in Connecticut. Why is there a truck in Connecticut? Someone had tried to register for new plates. So they tracked that person down, the Connecticut Police Department, and it was a guy who went to the same church as Christopher Crow and said, oh, this Christopher Crow person, he gave me his truck. He said that he had already paid it off, didn't need it anymore, and just gave it to me. All I had to do was transfer the title to my name and pay for the registration fees. And they're like, well, it's actually the truck of a missing couple. Where's Christopher Crowe? He's like, well, last time I heard, he got a job at Stan and Phelps. Then they went to Stan Phelps. Then they went to Nico Securities. Then they ended up at Keter, Keter Peabody and Company. I love the name. Yeah, these names are so... Keter Peabody. Keter Peabody. <laughs> <laughs> 
and the worst part is they didn't have a warrant so unless christopher crow wanted to talk to them they had no proof a crime was committed they had no proof that christopher was guilty they couldn't even interrogate him but they tried to talk to him and that scared christopher and he left he told everybody at work that he's got to go his parents were kidnapped in japan he had to go save them so he vanished from the face of the earth for four years nobody really knew where he was now, around the same time, something big was happening in New York City. I mean, maybe not big, big, but exciting. A Rockefeller was socializing at the biggest church in New York City on Fifth Avenue called St. Thomas Church. If you've been a tourist in New York City, I've seen this church as a tourist. You know, it's massive. It's huge. It looks like a cathedral. It's the type of place you go if you want to be somebody or if you already are someone. So he starts introducing himself, not as Christopher Crow, but as Clark Rockefeller. Now, let me give you a little brief history lesson on the Rockefellers, okay? This is one of the richest families in America. They are in the industrial, political, banking industries. I mean, I believe Fortune, no, Forbes named it like the 43rd richest family in America, which... What? What happened? Not even top 30? (laughs) So sad. (laughs) Do better, Rockefellers. Come on. (laughs) It all started with a poor man by the name of John D. Rockefeller and his brother David. He would actually, John D. Rockefeller would actually become the world's first billionaire to exist. He grew up in poverty. His parents moved him to New York when he was 14. And ever since then, he started working, did some bookkeeping jobs. Then he started noticing that oil was booming in the U.S. So he bought up a refinery within two years, became the largest in the region. And he was actually Standard Oil Company. His company was one of the first to create a monopoly just bought out everybody else it was so bad that congress even introduced the sherman antitrust act of 1890 because of this motherfucker he was too powerful i mean it's just scary to have that much power this is a straight up villain story in the making right he was dominating the industry bought up land so competitors couldn't even transfer oil to different regions like he was doing the absolute most but then you could say on the other side the rockefellers have been and still are very philanthropic okay (laughs) they are the rockefeller foundation helps promote education science arts this is my little tidbit so i don't get sued by a rockefeller okay um (laughs) they're like really giving charitable people they do social research around the globe you know they give back a lot you know you might know them from the rockefeller center that was once owned by them before being sold to a japanese company in new york city you know the big one Mm -hmm. um they donated the land that was used for the united nations headquarters like they're they're just huge family they did big things one of the sons david became ceo of chase bank and here's how quirky he is he would ride the subway to work every day, you know, to show everyone I didn't get here because of my connections. I got here because I worked. I he- got here by subway. <laughs> by subway. <laughs> You know, um, Chase Bank was actually one of the first Western banks to open locations in China and Russia under David Rockefeller. They called him the banker of all bankers, this Rockefeller dude, okay? They have a crap ton of money. About $11 billion is the estimated worth of the Rockefeller family fortune today. They also have 170 heirs to the Rockefeller fortune and growing. Now, John Rockefeller alone gave away close to $540 million throughout his life, which is, you know, quite a bit. But I'm just going to tell you, they're still pretty freaking ruthless, okay? So maybe let's not put them on the highest horse of all. Now, you can't talk about the Rockefellers and true crime without mentioning Michael Rockefeller. I'm going to lead you down a side alley, but I'm, I promise it's going to be interesting, okay? So, did you know one of the Rockefellers was actually a vice president? Nelson Rockefeller. 
was the vice president oh, under okay. President Ford. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. And this is very important to today's case because his son, his youngest child of the family, his fifth son, was named Michael Clark Rockefeller. Ah, uh, So that's where the ID came from. Yes, but he vanished. And it's suspected that he was eaten by cannibals. Okay, let me explain how the Rockefeller oh. ended up there. Okay, so Nelson Rockefeller, the vice president, I mean, he was really pressuring his son, Michael. You got to carry on the family name. Look at the rest of us. Chase Bank, politics. Which one do you want? You want to get into investment banking? I got connections. You want to get into politics? I got connections. What do you want? So for most of his life, he goes along with it, graduates Harvard. But then he realizes, do I really want to do that? No, the only thing that gets me excited is art. And his dad, Nelson, had opened up this museum of what they called at the time primitive art, which is really like a bad thing to say because anything that they considered primitive was anything that wasn't made in the Western world. So it could be like the newest thing out of Korea and they'd be like, oh, yeah, primitive. Because it just wasn't Western, okay? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the art was from the continent of Africa. And Michael was just fascinated, wanted to do something with this. So his friend asked him, hey, I'm going to New Guinea to film a documentary. Do you want to go with me? Very American thing to do. So they're like, yeah, let's go film a documentary in New Guinea. So they get on a boat, they get on a plane, then a boat, get to New Guinea. And he was ecstatic. At the time that he went, there was a huge territory war between the Dutch and the Indonesians. And they were just harassing the indigenous people of New Guinea. So this was just like a really shitty situation. The documentary filming went well. They go back home. But he decides, I want to go back and I want to study Asmat art. So Asmats were the indigenous people in New Guinea at the time. And he just wanted to buy up their art, really just get assimilated with their culture. And he goes back to New Guinea with a Dutch anthropologist by the name of Rene. Now, mainly Rene was a chef. Because the Dutch didn't like that Michael was doing the most. Like he was going into restricted areas. He was acting like he owned the place. Not in like a not in like a colonizer way, but in the sense of like he genuinely had the best of intentions. Like he thought that the Asmat indigenous people would just see that his intentions were pure, you know, and all of that. So in order to get to Dutch New Guinea, you have to go on a boat. But their boat flipped, the waters were rough, they're about twelve miles from shore, and they don't know what to do. They're stuck. So they're holding onto this boat. They wait for 24 hours, but Michael can't wait anymore. Now, side note, Michael Rockefeller is like super fit. Like the dude's ripped. So he's thinking to himself, I'm just going to swim the 12 miles to the island and get you help. Okay. So he tells Renee, the last words he said was, I think I can make it. And he started swimming off. Now, Renee gets rescued the next day. So he spent like a total of 48 hours out in the waters. And Michael literally went missing, was never seen since. So after three days, the Dutch finally tell the Rockefeller family, oh, yeah, by the way, we lost your billionaire son. So, I mean, this was a historic search. They had land, sea, private investigators, just helicopters, just the whole nine yards. They searched for close to two weeks. And the government said, well, you know, maybe he was eaten by a shark because there's a lot of sharks in the water, but they're really docile. Like they were never known for attacking humans. So nobody believed that they kept searching. And then, you know, the Dutch said, well, maybe he drowned. Because, you know, that doesn't make sense. But if he had drowned, then why didn't his body or his clothes wash ashore yet? That does not make sense. So in order to understand this, let me tell you about Asmat death culture. Okay, so they practiced cannibalism after death. The indigenous people of New Guinea, their death culture was very different from what we practice here. Right. And um, they practiced cannibalism, not in the sense that we know it in true crime, but in the sense of they believed cannibalizing the remains of your ancestors was important because it meant that they continued to live on within you and they had a process for it. This was strong in their beliefs. 
I mean, can you really say it's stranger than putting your dead loved ones into a giant oven and baking them until they turn into a powder? And then what? You put the powder in front of your TV and you just watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians just all day, every day. And that's what your grandma got to listen to now. Or sometimes you sprinkle them in the ocean for the little boop boop fishies. Like, I don't know what's weirder, right? And they were huge on balance. If you die, your spirit has to go to a spiritual figure that they believe in. But if you don't go, then you're going to cause bad balance on the island. Okay. So four years before Michael gets there, a lot of their leaders of the indigenous people, because there's different tribes and they were kind of like rivals at one point, were murdered by the Dutch, like straight up just massacred by this white man. And this is important. I'm not just saying like white man to say it like this white man. Keep this in mind. And the indigenous people believed that there was this huge imbalance on the island, spiritually speaking. So the theory is that Michael died and he was cannibalized. Some say that Michael was killed upon getting onto the island because they felt like they had to fix the imbalance. Some of these people, not all of the indigenous, but maybe like a select couple of men decided, well, if we eat a white man after a white man killed us, maybe that'll fix the imbalance. Some thought that he was the murderer he was the son of the murderer that white dutch man right so they're like well we got to kill him and uh it's alleged that they made spears out of his bones they ate his brains we don't know that for sure there's another theory that he was not murdered nor was he killed but he had you know he had drowned and he had washed ashore and because of their huge idea of imbalance they're like well we can't let this body just rot because Mm -hmm. he's not going to pass on spiritually Mm -hmm. and then after they cannibalized him they realized we just ate a rockefeller Imagine telling the Rockefeller family that, like, guys, that's just in our tradition. Like, you're not going to get away with that. And then there's one other theory. There was a video that came out recently. Well, not recently, but a little while after of a very Caucasian looking man with the Asmat tribe. And people thought, well, maybe it's Michael Rockefeller. He just hated being a Rockefeller, wanted to live a very different life. And he was accepted by the indigenous people. A lot of theories, huh? Yeah. So that was the story of Michael Clark Rockefeller. I am 100% that person, okay? And maybe you are too. If I have a pile of clothes hiding in my closet, if I don't see it, the mess doesn't exist, okay? And the same with credit card statements. If I don't see it, if I don't open it, no, doesn't exist. That's how I used to function. And it was so stressful because they would just pile up. I mean, the interest rates, it was just a mess. I mean, my finances were in a complete mess. And if I had heard about Upstart back then, I mean, it would have been life-changing. I have recommended this to my personal friends friends and family so many times because of how amazing their services are. So if you guys are carrying a credit card balance month after month, it just feels like this never ending cycle. I have felt it before. I completely understand. Upstart can actually help you make that final payment so that you can get ahead. It's a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all done online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. And the coolest thing about them is that you're more than just your credit score. And they're trying to expand access to affordable credit. So unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income, your current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And you can actually receive these funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash rotten. That's upstart.com slash rotten don't forget to use our url to let them know that we sent you loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application go to upstart.com rotten and now let's get back to clark rockefeller 
So is he trying to be that person or no? no? Okay, but, he just uh, borrowed part of the name. Yeah, but Clark Rockefeller doesn't exist. So he starts making his rounds with the elite of New York City. Nobody had a reason to doubt him. I mean, he had the Rockefeller chin and the nose. Some may even say that his eyes were beady looking, which is a staple in the Rockefeller genes. Okay, those beady little eyes. What's beady? Like just, yeah. It's not really a compliment. <laughs> like, okay. just, like little eyes that just dart back and forth, you know, those mm-hmm. little beady eyes. But Clark's story wasn't as glamorous as most Rockefellers. He said, no, 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 I wasn't from, um, I wasn't from John's side. That's the ultra rich part of the clan. I'm from Percy Rockefeller. So we're less rich. His parents were killed in a car accident when he was young. But you know what? He persevered. He got accepted into Yale at 14 years old. He worked heavily with business in Asia. So at one point, he was a nuclear physicist for Asian countries. And then he became a debt advisor. So what would he do? He would sit in his New York City office and advise third world countries in Asia on how to handle their debt. Debt consolidation. It's just bizarre. But he would never charge for it. Because these are third world countries and he's a Rockefeller. He's doing this out of the goodness of his heart. Whenever he would go out and meet people, he would not talk on and on about the Rockefellers like he did with his other identities. Because Rockefeller is the type of name that has much more power if you drop it casually. Drop the name, step back, shut up, and let the name do the talking. (laughs) And that's what he did. But everything else he talked about, I mean, it sounded like he knew what he was doing. He was a world-class sailor, had many sailing boats, knew a lot about sailing boats, recently sold one of his boats to Mariah Carey, hated her, hated her, because she's going to use it as a pleasure boat. What kind of new money type of fool uses a world-class sailing boat to throw parties? Disgusting. He would take people to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and he knew everything about every single piece. He would take them to the Met and say, oh, this is Michael Clark Rockefeller collection. That's my cousin who disappeared in New Guinea. He would say that. People would be invited to his nice apartment and inside was just all lawn furniture. Like, you know, the ones that you would put in your porch, like the wicker chairs, not like Mm -hmm. real furniture. But they thought, well, he's rich. He's eccentric. Wait, why Why does he do that? I don't know, because it's cheap. Ah. You might be thinking, well, Stephanie, I would never fall for that, because if I saw lawn furniture, I'd be like, you know what, that's not eccentric. That's, that's some serial killer vibes. But, I mean, everything else this guy did was really strange. He would only eat white food. Wait, what's that? It wasn't a YouTube challenge. He would just really only eat white food, just white bread with cucumbers on there. And if he were eating cookies, they could only be like the white sugar cookies. He only ate white food why color food yeah okay weird weird he had an art collection he would show off he had originals he had a rothko original worth about 30 million dollars and he started becoming you know he started being courted by the art dealers in the area including the infamous node learn company do you remember node learn company we did a case on them 80 million dollars of art fraud went through node learn company yeah they were sold and resold and turns out bunch of fakes they wanted to help clark rockefeller sell his rothko's but it's obviously a fake right they said it looked real yeah okay (laughs) a lot of art dealers said it looked real but he didn't want to sell it because art should be appreciated not monetized which honestly they said it's on brand for a rockefeller they're all obsessed with art the whole family so it makes sense 
and that is when someone from church introduced him to Sandra Boss. She was a well-respected daughter of a Boeing engineer, worked really hard, super ambitious. I'm talking Harvard Business School, worked for huge companies. I mean, she was a career-driven woman, right? Love at first sight. I mean, they hit it off so strong. It was it obviously helped that he was a Rockefeller, but not too bad-looking, respectable man, just one of the most intelligent people that she had ever met in her entire life. Never doubted a single thing that he said. He wasn't obsessed with material stuff, which everyone thought, well, that's just how the really rich are. That's old money class, you know, lawn furniture in your living room. That's old money vibes. He was respectable of her being a career driven woman. He wasn't like the type that's like, oh, my God, you make so much money because he's a Rockefeller. He's not intimidated by money. He knows money more than anybody else does. And they just I mean, it was true, true love. He was so sweet, brought her gifts, romanced her to the depths of hell and back. And soon he proposed. And they had this tiny little ceremony where none of Clark's friends or family attended. And the only problem that they had was before getting married, there was some huge legal battles because Clark claimed he had to settle a lawsuit with the U.S. Navy. So his parents were arms dealers. So they sold weapons to the U.S. government and some of those weapons malfunctioned, killing a bunch of U.S. soldiers. So then he was sued for $50 million. He had to cough it up. That was most of his inheritance and he had to pay it off. Otherwise, you know, if he gets married to Sandra, Sandra could be targeted. Sandra's money could be targeted. So he gave up his entire inheritance for Sandra, for love. So he came into the marriage with no Rockefeller money. And she was okay with it. He is really good at making yeah. up these stories. Yeah. Who even thinks of that? And it's crazy because everyone points out, if he didn't spend all his time, I mean, this guy's smart. Yeah. This guy could easily, truly make it on Wall Street or really any industry that he wanted. I mean, if that's, he, I mean that's kind of what he's way of making it right yeah. now. No, like just kind of finding opportunities here and there and just keep going at it. But what I think a lot of people pointed out is that if he had actually used this smarts mm-hmm. to, to do truly drugs. do something good, he would actually make more money. Yeah, but I feel like he's too big of a like egotistical a, yeah, maniac. Or like, <laughs> yeah, just looking for any loopholes that he can. Yeah, I don't think he can help himself. Like at if this he just point. worked at like a you know one of these banking companies and. But it seems hard. like he's been doing this ever since he was what fourteen. You yeah, said super young. That's so weird. What a what a weird character. I mean, Sandra truly believed him. Even when her friends started questioning her, she would stand up for her husband. So they just all assumed maybe there's like this big story that she knows, but we don't really need to know, right? Meanwhile, in California, Sue Kaufman was being haunted. Sue is Linda's best friend, remember? And she vanished with her husband Mm -hmm. on this secret mission. In her dreams, Linda would come and she would say, hey, I'm back. And she'd be so happy and she would wake up and realize it was just a dream and Linda isn't back. And she felt like Linda is telling her, don't give up on me. So she reached out and harassed the police. They kept pushing her off. She even wrote to Unsolved Mysteries, but they said, we're not really interested. Thank you. Not too long after that, the new owner of Dee Dee's house wanted to put in a pool. So they start digging. You get the drift. They find John's body. They never find Linda's body. So they air that Unsolved Mysteries episode. They say, we're looking for a Christopher Chichester. Could be also going under the alias of Christopher Crow. They luminaled the inside of the guest house, showed a ton of blood. I mean, the thing was just filled with blood, right? So they're like, we got to find this person. But it didn't matter because, you know, the people who saw it in New York City, they would never think that it was Clark 
Rockefeller. He was untouchable. Even his wife, I mean, he was the one in charge of that relationship. He would walk her to work, hated her having friends, turned into a completely different person after marriage, called all of her friends tacky, spent hours berating her every single day. Meanwhile, she didn't even have time to figure out what was wrong with her relationship because she was so busy working. She worked for a huge consulting company and had ties with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg. Like these were her clients. To be fair, the Rockefeller last name did open doors for her as well, right? And she had asked him. Oh, wait, she's a Rockefeller too? Yeah. Oh, wow. She had asked him, listen, you're not making any money doing debt stuff for third world countries. We get it. You're a philanthropist or whatever. But why don't we sell a painting? Just one. Just one. You don't even like them that much, right? We just have them up in our apartment, like donated even to a museum. Let's do something with them. And he said, well, I can't. The paintings are owned by a trust and I can't sell it for the next 10 years. You know, rich people <laughs> trust stuff, you know. And so slowly Clark started taking over everything. She would deposit the checks. He would pay the bills, take care of the house. And honestly, it got to a point if she wanted to spend her own hard earned money because she was the sole moneymaker in the house, she would practically have to ask him. Meanwhile, her career is popping off. She was going to be named a partner at McKinsey and Company, huge consulting firm, one of the youngest partners in the firm's history. This is a smart woman we're talking about. And he started isolating her even further. No friends, no family would even scream at her friends and family. Just scream at them. He would deprive her of sleep because, you know, she's getting lack of sleep from work. She's getting lack of sleep because they're always fighting at home. He would uh, make he would feed her like very little amounts of food. She would be starving a lot of the times. I mean, it was truly such an emotionally, mentally abusive relationship. And he was just so upset. So then he decided that they're going to move from New York City to Nantucket, which is south of Cape Cod, which means that she would have to commute on the weekends. And on weekdays, she would have to stay at a hotel in New York City. And the relationship was just falling apart. She was also financially frustrated. Like, what is going on? And he would tell her, don't worry, because of my great work with third world countries, I'm going to be named as one of the board of directors on the board of the Federal Reserve. Do you guys know what that is? That's the people in the country that control our money. Like how much money is printed, monetary, you know, policies. They do all of that. There's less, there's less than 10 people on the board. I think it's like a seven member board, which side note, that's very scary. That seven, seven people are just controlling all of our stuff. Right. But uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be named one of the board of directors there. So they move and eventually they find their way into Cornish, New Hampshire, which is a population of about 1,500 people at the time. Small, small town. They buy this huge house with Sandra's money, but it needed, the whole place needed to be gutted. Starts his reno project. I mean, just HGTV, house husband. Sandra's working all the time. He threatened to literally sue everyone in the town. I mean, this guy was just horrendous. The worst neighbor, the worst person to be around. On top of that, he was having affairs. So she didn't know this at the time, but Sandra was done. She wanted a divorce. You know, she had been named partner. She's done with this. Whatever. Okay, I'm leaving you. I don't care that you're a Rockefeller. We're done. And he instantly changed. Suddenly, he was the guy that she was dating before. You know, attentive, giving her gifts, just romancing her. But she wasn't feeling it. They had sex once or twice, always used condoms. And she thinks that he did something to them because she got pregnant. She decides to stay together. And um, she's like, well, we got to move, though, because I hate Cornish, New Hampshire. You know, let's move to at least Boston. So they moved to Boston and a lot of good questions popped up. 
in Boston, a lot of people are pretentious. Not all, but a lot. I mean, you've got like some major Ivy League and amazing, prestigious prep schools over there, right? So these are smart people that he's rubbing shoulders with. Not that they weren't smart in New York, right? But a lot of them were like, Clark Rockefeller, you're not listed as a Rockefeller. Like, we looked you up. He said, well, that's not my real first name. I changed it for anonymity. People were like, well, why wouldn't you just change the Rockefeller instead? Because if you were Clark, I don't know, Clark or Clark Smith, no one's that's that's anonymity for sure. Yeah. But nobody really cared that much, I guess. He became members of the Algonquin Club. It's a private club. You can only Uh really be invited in. Initiation costs are about like $100,000 and $10,000 a year just to maintain your rela- or your membership. It's actually currently undergoing remodel and they're rebranding themselves to call themselves the Quinn House. It's been a gathering place for U.S. politicians, governors, socialites, powerful attorneys, judges. I mean, this is truly the last place you want to be if you're going to try to have fun, okay? It's Country Club on steroids. They have museum quality art everywhere. And every day that he walked in, they'd say, good morning, Mr. Rockefeller. All of the staff in their uniforms. I mean, it was insane, right? So he's living that Bostonian life. And soon their daughter, Ray Rockefeller, was born. Now, Clark immediately controlled this little baby's life, forced her to read books. She's like two years old. And she was smart, just like her mom. Super smart. Acted like an adult rather than a child. Sandra wanted her to socialize, but Clark felt like it was beneath her to hang out with some crusty, drooling kids. He saw Ray as his real project. This is how he's going to make money. This is how he's going to make a name for himself. He would tell her constantly since she was like one years old, you're going to be the first female president. You're going to be somebody. And honestly, she probably will be because uh, by the time she was three, she was reading like science magazines. (laughs) What in the world? And he tried to keep mom and daughter apart. I mean, Sandra was making millions of dollars a year. He never saved a penny, spent it all, never fed Sandra enough while she was home. Just evil right would tell her constantly if you even think about leaving i'm gonna get full custody of ray she knew this he knew this but the real final straw came when he refused to let her come to parent teacher conferences he gave the school the wrong number for sandra's phone she was pissed finds out that ray needs therapy she just wasn't socialized enough for her age if it was recess time all the kids they would hang out but ray would calmly walk up to the teacher and say what should i play with which, okay, well, what am I doing with these block toys? Am I trying to make something? I mean, she was so micromanaged by Clark that she couldn't even be a kid. Mm-hmm. So things, bad things were going to happen if it kept proceeding this way, progressing this way. So finally, after 12 years, Sandra Boss filed for a divorce and she had to pay for his attorney too. So she hired a bunch of PIs to do some digging because she realized, listen, he had saved no money. I was making millions a year that I didn't see the money. I wasn't spending millions a year. What's going on with the money? So the PIs were mainly hired to do something called asset uh, asset recovery, which is to find mm-hmm. out if you like hid away money in secret places. Yeah. Meanwhile, Clark's going around telling everyone, trying to sell random stuff, telling them Sandra took him for every penny that he's worth. She had always been a gold digger. She had always been after the Rockefeller money. He had to trade in his entire $50 million art collection just so he could even have partial custody of his daughter. Evil woman. He can't even spend $200 for, you know, what do you call them? Lawnmowers, like uh, gardeners without Sandra signing off on it because this divorce is just so bitter. I mean, he was really playing into that whole Beverly, Beverly Hills rich man divorce 
combo. Like, that's what he was giving. Meanwhile, the private investigator is telling Sandra something weird's going on because we can't find a single thing about this guy. He has never filed taxes before. We can't find his name in any trust. We can't even find a social security number. There's no, you know, pedigree. There's no diplomas from anywhere. There's nothing. There's no even former job employment. Like, this guy's never had a job. How is that possible? Can you imagine 12 years into a marriage and then you find out? Exactly. And so she threatened to take him to court with this. Like she was going to subpoena him to come up with his real identity. And that is when he said, whoa, wait, 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 let's settle this out of court. So Sandra, she was terrified for her life. She wanted to transfer over to the London location, London branch of her company. Right. She said, I want to take Ray to London and get away from you. He said, "Okay, okay, you can take her to London, whatever. Who cares about her? Just give me a million dollars. Eventually, they settled on $800,000 and Sandra would get full custody of Ray. And she still, until the trials, never found out who this guy was. Until the trial, she found out. Yeah. Wow. Or when he was like arrested. Yeah. Wow. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, you guys probably know this because I've been talking about it all day, every day, but we're moving across the country, okay? And one thing that I am so excited about not having to worry about, yes, we're transferring utilities, all of these things, but I don't have to find another counselor. I don't have to go and sit through all these, you know, reviews and find the best one for me, find out their pricing, see when their availabilities are because I use BetterHelp. So the way that it works is they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that you can actually start communicating with in under 48 hours it's not a crisis line it's not self-help it is professional therapy done securely online they also have a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in the new place that i'm going to or many areas the service is also available for clients worldwide here's the coolest part so during the hecticness of this move during the actual move and i'm in this completely new state i can log into my account anytime and send a message to my therapist i get timely and thoughtful responses plus i can schedule weekly video and or phone sessions so i never really have to sit in that waiting room i never have to be like oh sorry i can't this amazing thing that we're doing this relationship we're building i gotta end it because i'm moving out of state i don't have to do that they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed which i'm gonna be real with you all therapists are great okay but some of them just aren't great for you. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can actually go and read the testimonials that are on their website that are posted daily if you go to betterhelp.com reviews and visit betterhelp.com rotten, that's better H-E-L-P, and join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So a special offer for Rotten Mango listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com rotten. So they would have supervised visits three times a year with um, a chaperone. And with that settlement, Clark Rockefeller, he bought a place in Baltimore, Maryland, right? Meanwhile, she moves on to London with their daughter. But he doesn't stay there at the new place all the time. Instead, he stays at the Algonquin Club. What a weird name, okay? So he starts staying there. And all the staff would be whispering, I mean, he's just going through such a rough time. Mr. Rockefeller is going through one of the nastiest, bitter divorces we've ever seen. He seemed truly miserable. 
So the day rolls around, and this day he wasn't miserable. So they asked him, well, why are you so happy, Mr. Rockefeller? Any good news? Well, my little seven-year-old daughter is going to be visiting. It's going to be a supervised visit, but still a visit nonetheless. I haven't seen her all year. So that Sunday, he wakes up, gets dressed in his little prep school outfit, khakis, Lacoste shirt, red, yellow baseball cap, and he meets up with his supervised chaperone, his little daughter, and he says, well, we're going to go around town and go explore all these areas. Let's go to my driver. So there's this black SUV park. It really is Clark's driver, okay? But before they can get inside, at this point, Ray's inside, and he's about to get in, and he tells the chaperone, hey, look over there at that building, and pushes him on the ground, jumps into the car, and the, the SUV just speeds off. Wait, 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 he just pushed the driver off the no, car? No, the chaperone. The chaperone. So at this point, this oh, he's, is, trying, to he's trying to kidnap his own daughter. What in the world? Yeah. Uh-huh. He had already filled his driver in. Now, the driver thought that this guy was just a clingy friend. Like, this chaperone is not a chaperone. He had no idea about this, like, you know, chaperone visits, none of the divorce ideas. He just thought this guy was just annoying. And Clark Rockefeller was offering to pay him $2,500 to get rid of his clingy friend. So that's what they did. They get into the SUV. Clark is yelling, go, go, go. The chaperone tried to hang onto the car, but they drove off, causing him to slam onto the pavement and start bleeding. I mean, this is like full on vehicular assault, right? According to the driver, Clark said the OG plan was to go sailing. They're going to go sailing for the day. But instead, can you just drop us off at like a Whole Foods? Because I think I'm just going to catch a cab and I'm going to take my baby to get medical attention. She looks a little shaken up. So he drops him off at Whole Foods. Then he gets into a cab, gets to the hospital. Now, instead of going inside, he gets into another car, Alexis, a 30-year-old piano teacher friend of his. And he told her, I want to go around and sail the world with my daughter. Can you drive us to New York City where our boat is docked? She said, okay, fine. So they make that three to four hour drive, but with traffic, seven hour drive from Boston to New York City. And once they get there, he throws an envelope of cash in the front and just leaves. It's like, okay, bye. Right after he leaves, she turns on her phone and her friends are blowing it up. Like, are you with Clark Rockefeller? Isn't your friend Clark Rockefeller? He just kidnapped his daughter. What, it became local news? Yeah, it's an Amber Alert. You know, the daughter's on the local news. What's going on? Police rush to Sandra and she's freaking out and she keeps screaming, you're never going to find them. I knew this was going to happen. And they're like, what do you mean we're never going to find them? We usually do. This is a high profile guy because he's not who he says he is. He's not even Clark Rockefeller. So the police run his name. Sure enough, he doesn't exist. Not even a driver's license, okay? Then the FBI gets involved. There's no tax returns. There's no expensive property deeds. Things you would expect in a Rockefeller or even just like a super elite rich person. They call up the Rockefeller family spokesman. Yeah, spokesman, okay? <laughs> and they had never heard of a Clark Rockefeller. So the police start talking to witnesses. All of his friends said, oh, he had mentioned he wanted to go to Peru. Oh, Turks and Caicos, Bermuda, Antarctica. This guy could be anywhere. Now, it's stated in the book that most parental kidnappings, it's not for the child, but it's for the spouse. It's usually parents trying to get revenge on each other. So kidnapping your own child will never benefit your child. It will only traumatize them more. Obviously, there's the rare cases you're trying to get your child away from an abuser. But statistically speaking, it's very scary for law enforcement because if it's for revenge, you're only one step away from the kidnapper killing the child and possibly offing themselves as well. So Clark had been at a friend's house earlier that day, drank from a glass of water, and that friend hadn't done the dishes. So they turn in that cup to the FBI, send it to Quantico for DNA and fingerprint testing. Turns out Clark Rockefeller is Christian Carl 
yeah, you get it. The 47-year-old immigrant from Germany. They put two and two together and they realize this guy might be also Christopher Chichester and Christopher Crow. The killer. The killer. Wow. So they finally find him the next week in Baltimore because all of the locals were like, yeah, we're going to we're going to call the FBI on you. Okay, so they arrest him and they ask him straight up, who is Christopher Chichester? Doesn't exist. Who's Christopher Crow? Doesn't exist. Who is Clark Rockefeller? Doesn't exist. Then who are we talking to? I don't know. So they charged him with fraud, murder, kidnapping, and vehicular assault. But he had to have uh, two different trials. So the California trial is for murder. He'd be extradited later. He lawyered up and instantly it was like a insanity plea. The lawyer was like, this guy's crazy. Listen, we can't deny that he didn't do these things. But who in their right mind would do these types of things? Who would impersonate a Rockefeller? Who would even have the balls to do that? Unless you're crazy. Or unless you're trying to scam people. Yeah. (laughs) Like what? And the only reason he kidnapped his daughter is because she telepathically communicated to him while she was in London that her mom was abusive. So he believed it. This guy is struggling with narcissistic personality disorder, delusional disorder, grandoise disorders, uh, lives in a magical, insane world. Now, the jury didn't believe him, and he was sentenced to four to five years for kidnapping and two to three years. Four to five years? Yeah. Okay. For assault with an SUV, served concurrently. So then in 2013, the murder trial came around, and he was found guilty. Oh, very circumstantial evidence, but I think he just did not have a good track record with his identities. It was just really bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe a normal person on trial that didn't have all these aliases would have gotten the same result. So very fascinating. Sentenced to, sentenced to 27 years to life. But the whole time he tried to victim blame, tried to blame Linda for killing John because she hasn't been found. So she's probably off, you know, doing her own little thing after killing her husband. Okay, What? And the crazy thing is he is up for parole December of 2029 and he will be 68 years old. I want to end this podcast with one thing that Mark Seal, the author, found, okay? So he was invited to see all of Christopher and Christian's things. Uh, Christian Christopher Clark's things. I don't know where. What, what do you mean things? Like he had left behind a bunch of stuff at like uh, the Californian couple that he met in Germany. He had left a bunch of boxes in storage with them. Okay. So he was invited to come see his stuff. He found his real birth certificate from Germany, pictures from Germany, and inside one of his perfectly tailored monogrammed blazers, Mark Seal found in the pocket a tiny little glass dildo. Tiny little glass dildo. Yeah. And I don't know where that takes us, but... that is the crazy story of clark rockefeller the man that never existed wow it's i mean it also scares me how easy for someone to lie their way all the way to the top that's what they say the bigger the lie the easier that's true because like imagine like who would even lie about that is what most people thinks right and it's so unbelievable it's like well logically no one would yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you tell me you're the next CEO for SpaceX, I'm not going to really question it as much. Yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> maybe I am. I mean, it different. does. Like, you know, with the... Yeah, with I the I don't whole... know if you know what happened to uh, Nikola, the uh, electric car company. They are no. just getting uh, arrested, the CEO. He just lied about the whole thing. He said his truck is better than Tesla and turned out the truck was just being pulled down the street. And he's pretending the car drives itself. It's like, and there's so many people. Everybody bought into it. 
Everybody, people invest millions and millions of dollars in it, and because nobody would think people would lie about such blunt thing, just like、uh, Elizabeth. Oh my God, with the blood company. Yes, it's just who lies about things like this. Yeah, it's kind of scary. It's crazy. Yeah, I guess confidence really is key, and it's scary because most of these people are genuinely probably smart people. That、yeah. could do good, and、exactly. that could make honestly, they could make a lot of money not scamming people. Yeah, but I feel like these people, they just can't help it. Imagine telling them just make an honest living <laughs> using your brain. Yeah, I don't think they can do it. That's insane. You'd rather risk getting arrested and、yeah. just feeling guilty and dirty、yeah. versus making an honest living. Which in this situation, I think Christian had a really. Honestly, I think he would make more money going the proper, honest way. Yeah. Just joining a firm, putting in the work. Yeah. Making、exactly. the connections. I think he wouldn't be a Rockefeller. He wouldn't be that well respected. But he'd he'd easily become a billionaire on Wall Street with how smart everyone says he is. What are your thoughts on this case? Let me know in the comments. And next time someone shakes your hand and says hi, I'm Rockefeller. Blah blah blah. And hi. <laughs> I am Stephanie Kardashian Bezos. <laughs> you slap them in the face, okay? You do it. Just kidding. Don't be arrested for assault. That's the lesson of the day, and I hope you guys enjoyed. And I will be seeing you guys on Sunday for the mini sode. Bye.